0: We're gonna fight. We're gonna fight for love. Welcome to Breaking Through with me, Kristen Rao Finkbeiner, powered by Moms Rising. The show we have for you today is going to fire you up. It's going to inspire you. It's going to make you smile. We're talking about where wins happened, how they happened, and how do we make those wins happen again from the first Tuesday in November 2023. We want to bring those wins forward into 2024 and repeat victories across the nation. We're going to jump right in with our first guest. We have a guest who you are going to just adore, be inspired by, and love hearing from. Kim Anderson of the NEA National Education Association. Welcome, Kim. Thank you so
1: much, Kristen. Well, I am inspired by you and all the work that you do at Moms Rising. So thank you very much uh, on behalf of our Three million members, public education professionals uh, across the country. We really thank you for having us today.
0: Well, thank you for educating the future leaders of our country and for all that you're doing. And one of the things I want to start out with is, listeners, we are in the same boat with educators and parents. We're all in the same boat. Many educators are also parents, and parents and educators need a partnership to be able to build the foundations of success for our kids. And we saw that partnership happening at the ballot box this past week when we had the elections. We saw moms, dads, caregivers, people voting for school boards that actually are for education and are against bans, are against censorship, are against harms, are against pushing teachers out of the labor force. What was your take, Kim, on this? Well,
1: let me just tell you. Uh, Tuesday, last Tuesday, and the election results of last Tuesday confirm a trend that we've actually been seeing um, since 2022, in fact. And that is that the vast majority of the public, no matter where they live, no matter what their partisan ideology is, no matter what their racial background, income, gender, etc., the vast majority of voters, and particularly parents, Support their public schools, and they want to elect candidates who support public education, as to, as opposed to want to abandon it or um, defund it. And so, um, we saw, for example, um, we we've, we've been tracking all through this year, just this year alone, um, and the and and through the election cycle of 2022, uh, voters in uh, Washington, for example, Washington State, um, uh, endorsed and um, uh, elected. 65% of pro-public education candidates. In Kansas, 81% of pro-public education ca- uh, candidates won their elections. In Minnesota, 85%. In Montana, 81 In Illinois, 90 And it goes on and on and on and on and on. So the candidates who ran on a platform... Of culture wars, of book banning, of, uh, attacking, uh, and, and marginalizing students for who they're, who they are in terms of their identity or, uh, proposing things like vouchers and other things. Those candidates by and large lost. So whether it was, um, candidates who were endorsed by Moms for Liberty or the 1776 Project or other partisan organizations, um, they by and large lost their reelection bid. Because that's not really what's on voters' minds. You know, we did, um, Kristen, we did a poll of parents and voters around back-to-school time this year. And we just asked them, open-ended, what's on your mind? What are the biggest things that you're concerned about in terms of your children's education or education generally? And they said lack of funding, teacher pay, school safety and school shootings, mental health needs, How are we going to help students recover from COVID? I mean, those are the things that are top of mind among voters and among parents. I'm a parent myself. I'm concerned about those things. (laughs) Uh, And so, you know, I'm really heartened by the fact that the election results speak to the notion that Americans want public education. They understand the importance that public education reflects in their own child's life, for economic mobility and fulfillment and being a prepared citizen to the importance of it in our economy and our democracy.
0: And I think that people underestimate how much parents love teachers and how many teachers are parents. What do you think? That's exactly right. (laughs) So
1: many of our members, um, whether they're teachers or they're bus drivers or they are paraprofessionals or school nurses or counselors, so many of our members are parents themselves right? And they want and need to have a public education system that is fully resourced and fully staffed with high quality professionals that are going to love their kids and, and excite them about learning and bring out all the potential that our children have. Right. And that, that's what our expectation is. And we as Americans have a right to expect that in a public good, like public education. That is why it is so critical to maintain this fundamental institution. That's why you see these election results time and time again. It is that people know that if our schools go away, uh, progress for society goes away, progress for our individual kids goes away, uh, the services that our kids need go away. And so it's, it's incredibly important. And yes, I'm glad you highlighted the, the connection there that, you know, our, our educators are parents too. <laughs> we want the same things.
0: <laughs> educators are absolutely parents and we're absolutely all in this together. And that brings me to something really important. And that is how can parents And people who, you know, are just generally involved in the community support schools. Oh, my gosh. Any number of ways. So volunteer. You can volunteer with your
1: school system to help students. You can become a tutor. You can uh, go to school board meetings and uh, uh, attend and learn about what's going on. You can sign up to be a member of Moms Rising, (laughs) PTA or Parents Together, any number of coalitions in your local community. You can reach out to your local education association because we have affiliates across the country. We literally have 14,000 local education affiliates. So ask educators in your school building how they can help. Um, and, and generally, just be mindful of the issues going on. You can also go to NEA.org and take action. Um, there are any number of bills pending at the federal level that you can speak out against uh, in terms of funding cuts. You can uh, pay attention to what's going on in your state legislatures to uh, making sure that uh, uh, elected officials are doing right. By our children and by our educators and by public schools so there are, every single level is important your local
0: level your state level and your federal level a recent analysis of the moms against Liberty candidates found that only 30 percent won they lost 70 percent of their endorsed races that's hundreds of losses and so when we're looking into the future what do people need to know about paying attention to those local races a lot of times, People are like, school board, I'm not going to pay attention to that. There'd be only one candidate running. You just vote for whoever's on the ballot, that one candidate. What should people be paying attention to when they're looking at these school board races in the future? Because we know when we pay attention, we vote for education, for parents, for teachers, for students. And that's why we saw Moms Against Liberty, who are for those book bans and that censorship and that harm, lose so many of their races. But I don't want people to stop paying attention. What are your thoughts? How do you pay attention?
1: Oh, that's exactly right. Um, And, you know, we all know that (laughs) um, as human beings, we we actually learn more when things don't go well, right? And so um, we are actually very concerned um, and uh, are on our, um, uh, uh, you know, watching our P's and Q's, if you will, (laughs) um, to pay attention to what this anti-public education movement is going to do now that Uh, They've suffered great losses uh, last week and have over the last year or so. We know that they're not going to stop. This stuff isn't ending anytime soon. All of the social media out there that we see talking about book banning and you know taking books of Rosa Parks and Roberto Clemente off the shelves, that stuff isn't subsiding. And so what that means is we have to pay attention to what our candidates are saying. So watching local papers. Um, encouraging local papers or other uh, uh, organizations to have candidate forums so that you, we can really ask candidates where they stand on the issues. Watching whether or not a candidate is actually recommended by local teachers. So watch those yard signs and see if they have those stickers on there saying teacher endorsed or educator endorsed. That's also important. Because we are never, ever going to endorse someone who wants to curtail your child's ability to learn. We're not going to endorse somebody who wants to ban books. We're going to endorse somebody who wants to supply more books so we can supply more learning, not less. And so um, that's really, those are some of the ways that you can pay attention is is just those local papers, social media pages, um, candidate forums. Uh, and uh, obviously uh, organizations like Mom Rise, Moms Rising is, is also a really, really important source of information.
0: I love that. Thank you so much. And also for parents who have students right now in the K through 12 system, teachers have been under fire for a long time from the far right, which is totally unfair and making their jobs really hard. And actually studies show pushing teachers out of the profession when we need more teachers more than ever, so for parents who have kids in the K-12 system right now, what do teachers love most that parents can do to support, other than voting against, you know, candidates who want to obliterate the public school system? What, what should they do to support teachers in the classroom?
1: Well, first, um, establish a relationship with your children's teachers or teachers generally, even if you don't have kids in the school system. Go and ask teachers what they need. And, I, and I, by, when I say teachers, I mean all of the educators in the school building. We know the critical role that, for example, the school receptionist at the front office plays. When a, when a child comes into school late, oftentimes the first smile that they're going to see is that receptionist in the school office, making them feel welcome and safe and warm Um, and so every single educator is important in in the school building and so just developing relationships with them and to say thank you number one number two ask the question what do you need and how can i support you (laughs) because sometimes it'll be school supplies other times it will be hey can you show up to a school board meeting and tell tell your story about how i helped your child succeed or what role you think we play in children's success so speaking out right so being a partner speaking out, and then, of course, making sure that you stay active on the issues going on in the community and, and voting. Those are, those are three very critical ways that folks can help. And, and Kristen, if you, if you don't mind, I want to just read um, an email that I got from one of our members speaking of, of what they're going through. She said, um, I, I've chosen to leave the classroom after 13 years. I resigned two weeks ago. The constant pressure from the conservative crowd of Moms for Liberty and others, hundreds of unpaid work hours, the push to eliminate my class library, and the expectations from some parents to be accessible 24-7 is simply not accept, uh, not sustainable. So some of, some of our parents, the way that you can be helpful is to try to understand the load that educators are carrying. Ask them when, oh sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Just get an ambulance running back. That was
0: an some appropriate, appropriate ambulance time because it's the load that educators are carrying, and it is uh, actual emergency.
1: Exactly. And so, some of the ways you can be helpful is ask educators what time would be best to talk. Ask educators, when is the most appropriate time or or most beneficial time for me to show up and help you in your classroom if I want to volunteer? When is the most appropriate time for me to talk with you about how my child is doing? Those kinds of things. So my this memo goes on to write, all I ever wanted to be was a teacher. It was my life, my identity, and my dream. However, with the constant addition of duties and expectations being added continuously, skyrocketing class, class sizes, it became all-consuming. My marriage suffered, my friendships disappeared, and I was no longer present in my adult children's lives. So, uh, you know, she just she goes on to say, I cannot imagine giving my remaining years left on this earth to the abuse that I am going through in public education. I will continue to speak out, but I need some peace for a while. This is an educator who uh, was a Florida teacher and has been suffering at the hands of um, some really, really regressive policies instituted by Governor Ron DeSantis. And she just got to a breaking point where she couldn't take it anymore. And that is uh, all too often happening with so many educators. But you know what? That means that we in the community, we as parents, and allies need to redouble our efforts to support those educators who are staying in our schools and staying in our classrooms and driving our buses and working in our cafeterias because we can't afford for one more educator to feel that way. 100%,
0: actually 150,000 trillion percent and I just made up (laughs) that number. We need to support teachers, support students, support families and make sure that we're voting on every race that's on the ballot in 2024 and beyond because we need to make sure that we're voting our nation forward not into bans and harm and thank you so so much for being on thank you for all you do kim anderson with the nea thank you thank you thank you kim thank you so much Kristen. we love you thank you and keep up the great work we're gonna take a quick break but stick around we'll be right back with our next guest who's talking about why care is rising across America, and how you can help out. We'll be back in a quick flash. Fight. for 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 love. Welcome back to Breaking Through with me, Kristen Ralph Finkbeiner, powered by Moms Rising. We are joined by. An awesome, awesome, awesome in the true dictionary definition of awesome person, Carol Joyner of Family Values at Work Action. Welcome, Carol. Hey, Kristen, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm fired up about the 2023 election results. And I'm fired up that care is still in the air. When you think about the care infrastructure, and the policies that are in it, what is giving you the most hope about what's happening right now?
2: Well, we're coming off of 2023 legislative sessions, right? And we thought that all the states that could pass paid family and medical leave had done it, And yet we saw that Maine passed paid family and medical leave this year, and Minnesota passed it, and Michigan will probably pass. It's our hope, fingers crossed, that they'll pass it next year. But their governor um, has already stated that that's the top of her agenda. So on a statewide level, we see lots of momentum around care, particularly around paid family and medical leave, but we also see people digging deep around childcare, and you and I both know, we've been to so many conferences in the last couple of months, care is on everyone's agenda.
0: It is on everyone's agenda. I agree with you. It's on the agenda of the White House. It's on the agenda of people in the U.S. Senate. It's on the agenda of people in the U.S. House. As you said, it's on the agenda of state legislatures across the country. The one place it's not on the agenda, though, is of the infighting Toddler fiasco, Republican leadership. Now I bring that up because recently yeah. the news had some actual fighting, like actual toddlers with yeah. Republican
3: elbowing, leadership. elbowing,
0: elbowing. There was some elbowing involved, and then there was some <laughs> request to take it outside in a super unprofessional way that's completely so inappropriate. And um, and and so we are seeing something, and that is the pressure of states marching toward the U.S. Capitol demanding that we need care in every state and everywhere. We need paid family medical leave. We need earned sick days. We need home and community-based services. We need fair pay for care workers. We need affordable, accessible, high-quality child care. And you see Um, these issues pop up in a number of places. You and I were both
2: at the Care Fest recently, and you saw workers with a resounding voice from home care and child care and other parts of the infrastructure, talking about the importance of childcare. We know that as this administration has passed four monumental bills, you know, the CHIPS Act, um, the infrastructure bills, that we can't build, rebuild this country without strong care policies because people need childcare in order to go to work. It is actually part of the infrastructure of of daily lives that people need. And so we were seeing, and then then just recently, remember last year, this time, there was a big fight um, with the rail workers trying to uh, finalize their contract and their employers were resistant because they wanted to have paid uh, time off through paid sick days. And they resisted that. It ended up having to be negotiated out and voted on in Congress where they did not get paid sick days. Well, end of the story, since that time, 85% of those workers have negotiated paid sick time with their employers because they understood the pressure that's involved um, when you don't have it, right? And what happens to the workers. And so I feel like the we're, we're on a good trajectory to win comprehensive paid family and medical leave, universal childcare, home and community-based services, child tax credits, if we just keep the pressure on and continue to include more people, more workers, more activists, more union uh, leaders in this fight.
0: I totally agree. And what I love is that the constituents even of those ridiculous Republican leaders who are doing toddler-type fighting in the halls of the U.S. Congress, support the care infrastructure by huge margins. We see so many polls. Even 76% of Trump voters support these policies. But the elected officials don't yet, on the Republican side, support that. Now, I'm, I'm doing Democrat-Republican here, listeners, because Democrats do support the care infrastructure in a big way. They do. <laughs> they do Democrats, 80 there. to 90% consistently. Yeah. I mean, it's like huge. And we do see Republicans at the state level who are outside of this toddler infighting that's happening with Republican leadership in the US Capitol supporting the care infrastructure still. So, and when they've been asked to, Christian, when they've been asked to vote um, on
2: non binding, uh bills right for care policies they tend to vote for them in large numbers but there's a political um you know cod cod what to call a cudgel that's being held over their heads and we need to break through that because People across the board, across, as you've said, across party, support these important work and family policies. They know family members who don't have them. They know when they've needed them because of surgery or the birth of a child or whatever. They, I believe, get it. We have to make sure that the people they elect into office actually represent their concerns.
0: Totally true, and that's why I was heartened by this past election that we just had in November where people were not expecting landslide wins for care, landslide wins for bodily autonomy, landslide wins so that our children don't have fewer freedoms than we do. Landslide wins that really work toward building the foundations of success. Because we know when this many people are having the same types of struggle at the same time, we don't have an epidemic of personal failures that we can't afford to pay for childcare, which costs more than college. Instead, we have national structural issues that we can and must solve together. And we see more and more people understanding that, more and more people voting that way. And we need people to bring that voting energy into 2024. I am fired up for 2024 already. Yes, so am And I. family values at work. You are in the states. How can people get involved in the states, pushing these policies and pushing toward 2024? Well, we have a petition coming out, and we'll share
2: it with you. And We hope you'll share it with all of your listeners that basically established very, in a very simple way that these are critical economic policies that help families to thrive. So we have that coming out. We'll share that with you. They can also go to familyvaluesatworkaction.org and, you know, become a member, sign on, you know, we'll send you information, we'll exchange, a have a conversation. Um, and then we also will be in the States Throughout 2024, planning events. So we're hoping that we'll do some of that with Moms Rising. Um, We were, you know, hanging out with the dad's pack last night, which was amazing. Um, And they're going to be in the States trying to lift up these issues for men, for fathers. Um, And so I think that there's going to be a lot of opportunities to get engaged next year around care. And we're just asking folks to stay tuned so that we can build this conversation from the ground up.
0: Absolutely. Now, I said, I'm getting fired up for 2024. And I heard you start to say, I am too. What's firing you up for 2024?
2: Well, the fact that we, for this is our third, we'll be going into our third year knocking on doors across the 17 states where we have uh, organizations in the field talking about care, identifying care voters, making the connection between, you know, the economic woes that people are struggling with. We know our economy is stronger right now. We know that unemployment is down three point some odd, two or three percent. We know that uh, more people are working, right? And people are also possibly earning higher wages. However, they don't feel the benefits of all of that, all of those wins. And the reason why is because prices have gone up and folks are not being able to make ends meet. People still have huge student loans. You know the whole story. If you already, on top of that, if you already have high childcare costs, the cost of college tuition, if you already have issues with trying to manage your parents who's in uh, 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 home care uh, in home care, or needing to take care of them and needing paid family leave and you lack that benefit, if you don't have the home and community-based services that you need, right? If all of these care issues are not addressed, it makes the, the more, it makes the uh, substantive, economic issues even harder to bear. And so our goal is to make create a message that says, let's let's take the care issues off the table. Let's for once fix this part of our society, improve the infrastructure for care, and that way people will have less on their plates to worry about. And so I'm excited to send that message out into the field I'm excited because young people, um, I was at a rally for the Red Cup strikes this morning at Starbucks, and one of the demands they have is paid sick days. Young people are beginning to connect to these care issues, connect them to benefits that they need on the job. And so I do believe that um, we're in a moment of change between the union organizing that's happening, the care conversations happening all over the country. And uh the way in which we're now talking about the rights of workers um, and the and the the ability for people to actually thrive and to have joy in their lives compared to you know just good old neoliberal <laughs> economics, that gives people hope, right? We're talking about what everyday people need, how they're gonna thrive in this society. And I'm looking forward to those conversations.
0: And they are so important because we do all do better when we're all doing better. And that means businesses and our economy do better too. And too often people, when we say, hey, we need to care infrastructure, because just like we need roads and bridges to drive on to go to work, we need to care infrastructure so parents can actually go to work, so kids can thrive, so workers can earn living wages. And that is actually how you have Businesses blooming as well, because businesses need highly valued employees who are parents and caretakers and caregivers. And businesses without that have things like empty positions leading to supply chain issues. You know, it just doesn't work. It all breaks down retraining
2: costs because they have to keep rehiring people (laughs) who have to leave the job because they don't have access to care.
0: Yeah, 100 percent. Why do you think the business case is too often just ignored? And people say, oh, it's too expensive. And we're like, hey, actually, it costs way more to have inaction than to take action.
2: That's right. I don't know why it's ignored. But I do know that almost every hearing that I've ever been to on the Hill, there was a very strong case made for small business supporting these issues. Usually there's Mm a uh, a business owner who comes and is, literally has a seat, provides testimony and members of Congress, particularly Republican members of Congress who normally hold up and, and laud uh, small businesses really don't pay much attention to that point, um, which, is, which is tragic because I think any small business owner knows that if they wanna maintain their business, the first thing they have to take care of is their staff. And taking care of their staff means being able to implement these policies, but they, it's hard for them if they can't level the playing field. If you have tech giants and large corporations, you know, sucking up the talent because they can offer these policies when, you know, it hurts small businesses. So if we're able to pass... The Family Act, right, or even the Healthy Families Act, that levels the playing field for them. And then they pay a very small portion of their their, um, budget on these care issues. But that's a complicated story. And I do think that Congress people, you know, whether in the House or the Senate, understand it, but it's not politically convenient for them to talk about.
0: Yeah, 100%. We have two seconds left, well, maybe 20. Can you give our listeners how to get involved with Family Values at Work Action just really quickly again?
2: Well, go to uh, familyvaluesatworkaction.org. Let's start there. Um, we've been updating our website, so we're getting very excited about that. Um, and then stay, you know, sign on and then we'll send you the petition once it comes out. We're hoping people will join us. Um, And then on social media, go to Family Values Action on Instagram or Twitter, um, X, um, and uh, like us, follow us, see what we're up to. We'd love to be in deeper conversation with more folks. Our network partners follow us. Many, many other folks do, but uh, we'd love more friends.
0: thank you for being on thanks for all you do thank you thank you thank you carol join our family values at work action thank you thank you we're gonna take a quick break but don't go away next up we're talking about democracy in action what worked in 2023 and what to do to make sure it works again in 2024. we'll be back in just a quick moment Kristen Ralph Finkbiner, powered by Moms Rising. We are joined right now by one of my very, very, very favorite people on the actual planet Earth, who is a nation lifter, a world changer, Barbara Arnwine of the Transformative Justice Coalition. Good to be here. <laughs> Good to be here. Yes. So we we're talking on the radio show today about hope, about change, about democracy, oh, yes. and about the elections. And I want to talk a lot about the barriers to democracy that need to be broken down. But before we do that let's talk about the hope that just happened with the 2023 elections that happened in november what are your favorite most hopeful parts out of that
3: well i was Actually, on a call earlier today, where people from Election Protection were talking, and I should, of course, say it's a pleasure to be on the show again today, but earlier today when we were talking uh, about the Election Protection, the one theme I heard continually was problems that occurred because of what? Because they underestimated the turnout. That means again, again, for the third time in a row, voters have outperformed everyone's predictions. Talking about all, you know, folks are so depressed. Folks aren't enthused. There's no energy. They're not going to show up. And then it turns out they show up and they show out and nobody's ready for them. So you don't have enough ballots. You don't have enough polling places. You don't have enough staff. You don't, you haven't, uh, your website is, you know, not, ready to take all the uh, uh, interactions it's receiving. So it it crashes. All of that that we heard about from various states. So it is just incredibly powerful to realize how much uh, voters really take our democracy serious and turn out in those 10 states that had elections on November 7th, despite everybody's predictions. I'm so sick of polls. Polls don't vote. Polls don't know anything. Uh, polls aren't reliable the only thing that's reliable is will the voter turn out
0: and they did and i was so yeah, excited yeah. because good yes. things happen when we all vote people in case you were wondering when we all vote good things happen what were your right. things that happen
3: Woo! i just love it you know i was in ohio for two days for souls to the poll sunday because we got all those black churches with their congregations out and i remember kristen uh, going to the you know Ohio's really has issues. Their voter suppression is out of the, off the chain. And one of the things that they did is for early voting, they only had one polling place open per county uh, on the for the major part. So I go to Cincinnati, five block long waiting line, folks, five block long people are just disgusted. They're fear, furious. They're angry. They don't know what to do because uh, they got to wait in line for all that time. But let me tell you, they were there and they were waiting in line. They waited were determined to vote. They were they're not going to be denied. I heard from students at various campuses saying that they weren't able to use, you know, their ID, that they had to travel, you know, 30 minutes from their campus to find a polling spot. Can you imagine? And they don't have cars, all these issues. So I just want to say to every single voter, you're amazing. Thank you for voting. And as a consequence, women, hey, we got some reproductive freedom in good old Ohio. Don't be telling me what we can't do. Don't tell me what we can't do. And then... and. uh, Yes, We
0: we are so celebrating six in 10 people who need and have abortions are moms. People don't think about that. So moms, people across the country are celebrating bodily autonomy. And importantly, the making sure that our children don't have fewer freedoms than we did.
3: Exactly. Exactly. How dare them try to turn back the clock. How dare them try to take us backwards we're, you know, we're all struggling out here. We want to have, you know, a decent, uh, you know, a financial base for our families. We want to be able to have income. We want to do everything we can. And we want to make sure our children that we decide if we decide to have a child that it's a child that we want It's our choice, not somebody's forced reproductive plan. We will not go over that. We will not put up with it. So I'm just so happy to see women in both states of Ohio and Kentucky put yep. that issue. And men and men and Republicans, independents, Democrats, across the board, everybody said women must have their reproductive freedom. I love it. I think that is just a real major fight back against all of this, you know, authoritarianism, all of this backwards, you know, uh, you know, kind of put women back in their place theories that are out there. It is time for us to continue to stand up and say, we will, we demand justice.
0: And we do demand justice. I am so excited about that when we make a demand for justice and when we all vote, and when we stand in those we lines, win. and when we register vote, yes, we do win. They if they they win. In red win. states, blue states, purple states in unexpected win. areas. We winning. win. Winning, winning, we winning. Win. Also, we won the majority of the school board races. That's today. my favorite. That's they my lost favorite 70% That's my favorite story. Seven favorite. I'm so excited because Moms Against Liberty and their hateful agenda of book bans and harm only won 30% of their races that they had endorsed in. They lost everything go. as they should. Yes. They were horrible. Yes. They were mom washing, yes. like pretending they were <laughs> representing moms, like putting Dying. a mom wash on it. When they represent moms. Mom voters spoke. And I was excited. I did some dancing. They have
3: no right. No right. No right to think they can ban our thoughts. No right to think that they can ban the teaching of Black history. No right to think they can ban the teaching of women's history. No right to think that they can tell LGBTQIA people that they cannot exist in writing and nobody can read about them. No right to tell, you know, Latinos that your history doesn't count, Asians that your history doesn't count. Listen, we are here because all of our histories count, because it's the combination of our histories that have made this country. Don't try to lie. Don't try to erase anybody. And folks all over the country said, we're not having that. We don't agree with book banning. We don't agree with curriculum erasure. We're never going to put up with that. We Listen, you are insulting us as parents to tell us that we can't pick the books for our children, that we can't support. If our children want to read something that you don't like, too bad for you, not for our children. Uh, I am just so proud of every single voter who voted not just for the top of the ticket, but said on the school board elections, I am voting for sure. Thank you, everybody, because we are the ones who determine our destiny. This democracy is not theirs, it's ours.
0: 100% and I I just couldn't be more happy. So I'm coming (laughs) out of the 2023 elections with a lot of hope, with my heart, Full because i'm so happy I, i'm with you i'm thankful to everybody who voted and then you see i got a lot of texts about this i'm sure you did too donald trump doing some really really illegal anti-democratic voter suppression humanity suppression planning about like vengeance and what yes. about what we're up against in terms of making sure there are as few barriers to vote as possible in 2024 and what can people do right now
3: Uh, people right now i want you to get up every single morning look in that mirror and when you say i look good whatever else you're saying i'm gonna be you know i'm gonna have a great day i want you also to say i am a voting rights champion I don't care what anybody else says about me. I am a voting rights champion. Not only am I going to vote, I'm going to make sure everybody I know is able to vote. I'm going to make sure that I protect the right to vote. I'm going to make sure that our democracy is not just some kind of alien concept, that it's a real reality, that we are going to make sure everybody everybody is able to participate. Later for Donald Trump's fascism, later for his authoritarianism, later for his threats and his bullying, it's time for us to say we want that America that we know can exist, where we all are neighbors, where we all are friends, where we all are fighting for a common goal of peace and equality. We can be that country, but it's not going to happen if we don't exercise our rights our agency our activity so thank you I want you to say I'm a voting rights champion I'm gonna do everything I can uh you know I'm gonna be like that woman who uh, in, you know who uh, in Alabama said I don't have no money I don't have a high school uh, diploma I never graduated from high school but one thing I got is a car and I got some gas money. And she took 100 people to the polls uh, when they had that senatorial race uh, years ago. So be like her. Uh, Be like, you know, the people who I saw in Kentucky who were saying, I have voted at this polling place for 40 years. I have voted at this polling place for 50 years. And were crying because they were being told they couldn't vote. And we made sure, Kristen, that they all got to vote now. And we took care of that. Uh, and we cleared up all that confusion and all that, uh, you know, polling place problems and websites and new polling books and all the rest of it. We took care of that. But I want people to understand that their spirit is what got us because yep. they were crying, crying about being denied to write the right to vote. They weren't just this wasn't something casual. They got all dressed up to come out to the polls to exercise that vote and like they have been doing forever. And they cried when they were told they couldn't vote. So, you know, we got to understand that that's why we have to be there, because we got to be there to support them. We got to be there to support that new generation of voters who want to vote. I mean, I'm just listening, folks. They don't want to tell you, but 42 percent of all people who voted in 2022, said they voted because they wanted to protect our democracy. More than a huge percentage of those being younger voters. So don't 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 buy the the crazy, uh, you know, conventional wisdom and all of this nonsense. Don't buy any of this polling data you're hearing about. You know, people don't want to vote or, you know, Trump's going to take over whatever. You know, look at the real reality of what people are actually saying. And they're going to keep lying. They're going to keep lying. Just like Santos had them, you know, after the uh, report came out today showing all his lies had to say i'm not running for re-election like he had a choice are you kidding me he's the only thing he better be running from is jail right now (laughs) so so i just think that it's important for us to understand that they will try to demoralize us discourage us they're going to try to distort who we are they're going to try to just lie but one thing we got going for us is that we got that energy that Mars energy, we got all of that energy saying that we want justice, we want justice, and we want our rights, and we want our freedoms, and we're not going back. You can't take us back to the 50s. We only want to go forward into a future that's good for all Americans.
0: I couldn't agree more. We have like 30 (laughs) seconds left, and I want everybody to join the Transformative Justice Coalition. Everybody to be funding, donating, contributing your time. How do we do that? How do we do that? We have like 30 seconds. How do we do that?
3: TJcoalition.org. TJcoalition.org is our website. Go there. Find out what we're going to be doing because, you know, we're not passive. You heard me say that we were on the ground in Kentucky, on the ground in Ohio. We were... Talking with voters in Virginia, we have been, we're mad about what happened in Mississippi. We're going to do everything we can to make sure that voters are protected, voters are celebrated, and voters are, they are absolutely the foundation of a good democracy. Thank you. Thanks thank for you. for the great work, Moms Rising does. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank
0: you. Barbara Arnwine, Transformative you. Justice Coalition. We're going to take a quick break, but don't go away. Next up, we are talking wins, people. Wins that happened the first Tuesday in November. We'll be back in just a quick moment.
3: we want to fight for love.
0: with me kristen ralph finkbeiner powered by moms horizon we have an amazing nation lifting spectacular guest for you today maurice mitchell of the working families party <laughs>
4: it's it's good to be with you
0: it's always good to be with you around the country there have been a lot of reasons for despair there's been a lot of reasons for cynicism and then when we just had the November elections, we saw a lot of reasons for hope. And I'm wondering if you could spend a moment sharing with our listeners a little bit about the hope the Working Families Party is generating and the change in what you saw in the elections.
4: Well, absolutely. And, you know, it there's there's good cause for people to be very, very concerned. And I think folks are looking for leadership that they could believe in, not leadership that they agree with. But leadership that they could believe in and i think on tuesday we saw an occasion to be very excited about the leadership that is coming from the ground up and winning hard-fought elections challenging uh trumpism because trump trump is no longer president uh, president but trumpism is alive unfortunately challenging and challenging the cynicism and despair that are projects of the right wing and so for us at working families party you know we've We've been around for 25 years we had our 25th anniversary in philly of, you know early october and we're just getting started speaking about philly we had a wonderful historic election day in philly where two working families party at large city council people defeated the republicans who for decades and decades had always just waltzed into these quote-unquote minority party seats which basically were set aside for the republican party and in a city like Philly, which is very, very democratic, we felt that there were more Working Families Party voters than there were Republicans. And it turns out we were right. In 2019, Kendra Brooks came and took on one of those Republicans and won. And in 2023, Nicholas O'Rourke came to to join her. Um, and so we'll have we'll have two independent Working Families Party candidates that are going to focus on issues like climate change and paid family leave and um, a whole set of issues like public safety um so we're really excited about our win there and then in allegheny county uh we had amazing win where sarah uh, memorado um had a victory and she's a climate champion and there was like she was being outspent eight to one by the lobby and by the oil and glass industry and by the right wing and she was victorious as well and you know i'm sure you've talked about the victories in virginia and you know we know that in virginia that was a, a test to see if the far right could create a palatable version of restrictions on abortion rights and it turns out that they were wrong that everyday people could see through their lies, and uh everyday people voted tremendously overwhelmingly for freedom um again and again and again and democrats were able to win a majority in the legislature And we're really proud of the work that we did on the ground with many others um, in Virginia in order to make sure that that victory happened, like the Virginia New Majority and other organizations that were on the ground having conversations with everyday working people to make that happen. And forgive me if you hear something in the background, I'm traveling right now I'm in the airport. So, you know, occasionally you hear some noise in the background, but that's what that is. And in Ohio, Ohio was another test for freedom. And we, uh, along with many, many other people in the field in Ohio, were able to win another victory for abortion rights. And Ohio is not considered a citadel of lefty activity. In fact, many people consider Ohio to be a red or reddish state. And again and again and again, when working people have a choice between restricting their freedoms or protecting their freedoms, they're choosing to protect their freedoms. And there's one party that is being committed to restricting our freedoms and everyday people are hearing that loud and clear. And there's a movement for justice that's broad, that is transpartisan, that includes independents, some people who consider themselves conservative, progressives, includes people of all races and all ethnicities who are coming together in order to fight for democracy and freedom.
0: And it's so important. And one of the things you lifted up is that some of the candidates were outspent eight to one and they still won and this i think i want to sort of focus in on is a moment of hope because people think that money can buy yuck and sometimes money can buy yuck but not always our votes our power our voices are so incredibly effective together and we saw all of us knew going into the election that things like you know 80 percent of people democrats republicans independents libertarians don't want book bans don't want to have our rights and our bodily autonomy restricted. And so we saw an instance of outsized spending making the voices of hate and harm seem like they were the majority when they actually weren't. They're a very small part of our country. And we saw that with our votes. I'm wondering what your take is on that sort of push pull where sometimes it seems like, you know, the voices of hate have much more support from actual voters than they do.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you know, organized money does have an impact, unfortunately, and an oversized impact on our democracy. And over the past few decades, because of skewed Supreme Court um, rulings like uh, Citizens United, like we live in a world where one could argue that a billionaire's decision to spend unlimitedly in politics is their First Amendment right, even though their decision to spend unlimitedly clouds out the voices of other people. And that's a serious problem. But what we see, despite those challenges, at the end of the day, the voice of, of organized people, the voice of the majority, when organized, can overcome organized money. It's challenging, but it's doable, especially when you're aligned around A popular message that puts the people at the center that says everyday people, everyday working people, their cares, their desires, the things that they wrestle about at at, at all hours of the night, the people that they care about, you, you put them at the center of our of our democracy and of our politics, and you could overcome the intense power of organized money. And you engage in a grassroots politics that focuses on the changing the material and the psychic conditions of people's lives. And what I mean by that is the material conditions, making sure that people are able to organize as workers in a union so they could get a fair day's work for a fair day's job, right? But also the psychic conditions, right? People feel more alienated than ever. People feel more lonely than ever. And building community, building organization so people are connected, and that people's identity cannot just be their narrow identities that sort of prevent us from staying connected, but a broader solidarity identity as somebody that fights for the little person against the bosses, against the elites, in order to ensure that we can live more dignified lives. That is a message that cuts across race, cuts across gender cuts across even ideology um, to build a bigger we. And I think that's what we saw on Tuesday. We saw that happening in Ohio. We saw that happening in Virginia. We saw that happening up and down the ballot. You know, I I forgot to mention in Pennsylvania, the Supreme Court um, uh, race that took place in order to ensure that we have a pro-democracy, pro-fairness Supreme Court in in uh, Pennsylvania. So there are a lot of things that happened on Election Day that are cause for celebration and are evidence that organizing at the end of the day still works, even against big money.
0: Yes, which made me so happy and so hopeful when I saw the election results going into the 2024 elections we're going to be up against some big odds and that means we're going to need some big organizing what should people start doing right now to get ready to make sure that hate doesn't win in november 2024.
4: okay so you should know what your voting plan is right now and you should commit to making sure that at least three other people know their voting plan right you should do that right now so You're good. You know what you're going to do. You know, if you're going to do a mail-in ballot, if you're going to early vote, whatever that is, you got it locked down. And number two, you should make a commitment to make sure that three other people do that. That's number one. Okay, after that, your job is to find an organization. Your job is to find an organization and commit to between now and election day, a set amount of volunteer shifts with that organization, find a pro-democracy organization, an organization like Working Families Party, an organization you know, like many of the state-based organizations that focus on particular issues. Maybe it's abortion rights, maybe it's climate, maybe it's um, housing, right? Find an organization that's going to be involved in the elections, It's gonna be turning out people, it's going to be talking about the issues, and participate in that organization and make a, a commitment that you will get involved. Because the earlier we get involved, the more we're able to m- really leverage the power of that big organizing. Another way to, to to define organizing is relationships. And as you know, in your personal relationships, in order for that relationship to deepen, you need time. And so we have the time right now to engage our communities and we know that that, that big money what that big money leads to is misinformation, disinformation, cynicism. Sometimes they're not able to sway people over to their side, but they could, they could confuse people enough that they might just become cynical about politics. The way that we challenge that misinformation and disinformation is not necessarily better information, although we need that. The way we ultimately challenge that is solid relationships and organization. So that would be my tip to anybody who's excited about the successes that we had on Tuesday and wants to keep the momentum going. You have a role in voting. You have a role in telling people that no one trusts you, how important it is to vote and to have a voting plan. And then you also need to get organized.
0: Absolutely. And we have one or two minutes left. How can people get involved with Working Families Party? We want everybody to get involved with the Working Families Party to support the Working Families Party. How can they do that no matter where they are?
4: No matter where you are, it's easy peasy. If you're listening to me and you have your phone, take your phone out and text WFP, that's for Working Families Party, just text WFP to 30403, or you could find us online at workingfamilies.org and we will connect you to a Working Families organization on the ground somewhere near your community where you could get, get involved in person and if there isn't a working families chapter near you we could get you involved virtually we make it easy as possible for you to get involved as quick as possible in order to seize the reins of our democracy ensure that you're as an everyday person you're in the driver's seat At working families we believe in this crazy idea that in a democracy working people should govern not the uber wealthy and corporations. so join us in order to make that happen
0: join today people today there is no time to waste in fact ride the tsunami of hope from the recent November elections where there were so many dramatic wins so many people who won who are for justice who are for building a better nation and ride that right into 2024 so thank you so much for being on thanks for all you do thanks for taking time with us
4: it was good to be here thank you
0: well, that's it for our show today. Thanks so much for tuning in as we tackle the top topics face inter-nation in a way that requires the most boring, absolutely boring disclaimer on the history of the planet Earth. Here goes. Views expressed on this show are those of the individual speakers and should not be attributed to Moms Rising, to this station, or to any news or social media service that may disseminate a recording of this show to the public or to any segment of the public. Boom! We'll catch you next week.
3: We